Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for your presence. And your presence is fullness of life. And your presence is freedom. And your presence is joy. In your presence is strength, in your presence is renewal and restoration, and we are exactly where we need to be today. Uh, Lord, it's a big earth, and we could be anywhere on it, and but right now, at this juncture in our lives, we are exactly where we need to be, when we need to be, basking in your presence, who makes all things new, who makes all things work together for the good. I pray that in Jesus' name, you would stir the hearts of your people. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, open it to 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 14, and today I want to talk to you about the single greatest need, certainly in our city, in our nation, and I believe in each and every heart, and that is the need for revival. Now, When I say the word revival, you might think of a week-long series of meetings where, you know, preachers are scheduled every night, and uh, it's a a revival. Maybe you've been to a revival meeting, but you can no more hold a revival or schedule a revival than you can schedule a hurricane. But you can predict a hurricane, can't you? And you can also predict a revival. Wherever there's a group of people who are desperate for God, who are crying out to God, who are entirely consecrated and surrendered to God, that group of people is going to experience a revival. Now, uh, not to mistake a revival with evangelistic crusades. Now, evangelistic crusades are where a group of uh, churches come together or where a church on Sunday morning might come together with lost people on their arm and they want these people to be evangelized or an evangelistic crusade where people campaign, where people go into the neighborhoods or communities and lead people to Christ. Well, that's evangelism, the the sharing the good news with people who need Christ. But a revival is just that. It's reviving. It's awakening the heart of the saints. It's awakening the heart of Christians. And a true revival will always result in a widespread evangelism of a city. But it starts with the awakening and the revival of the hearts of the church. So we're going to look at a revival in the Old Testament. In 2 Chronicles chapter 14. And we uh, are going to look at this king. His name was Asa. And let's pick up in verse 2. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of God. And watch what Asa did. This king, this king of Judah, now just a quick historical context, uh, King Saul reigned over all of Israel for 40 years, the first king of of Israel. King David reigned after that uh, 40 years. After that, uh, King Solomon, I believe, reigned about 40 years. And then about four years after the life of King Solomon, uh, there was a civil war in Israel. And uh, unlike our civil war that resulted in a unified nation, uh, Israel never again unified. There was a northern kingdom, and we call that Israel. It occupied the ten tribes of Israel. And then there's a southern kingdom. We call that country, the, the Bible calls that country Judah. And it occupied the, the capital of, 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 of Jerusalem. And it was the, the, the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin occupying the, the southern kingdom of Judah, which is why oftentimes when you read through the Old Testament, it'll refer to Israel and it'll refer to Judah. And it seems like it's two different countries. Well, it is. Israel was wiped out in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians and Judah in 586 
B.C. by the uh, by the Babylonians. So at this time, we pick up with Asa. He was the king of the southern kingdom, the king of Judah. And sometimes Israel and Judah were allies. Sometimes they were fighting against each other. So let's pick up in verse 2. Asa did this king of the southern kingdom of Judah, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He removed the foreign altars and the high places. He smashed the the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. Remember that, Asherah poles. Verse 4, he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and commands. He removed the high places and incense altars in every town in Judah, and the kingdom was at peace under him. He built up fortified cities of Judah. Since the land was at peace, no one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. And this may be where you are today. I mean, there's obviously some inclination in your heart to seek the Lord. There's obviously some inclination in your heart to do what is right before God. There's obviously some desire, some seeds in your heart that you're acting upon to align your life with the word of God. Otherwise, why would you be here? And so often I've seen people decide to get their lives right with Christ, to start seeking Christ, and then trouble hits. And they oftentimes say, you know what, I started seeking God, and then why are these bad things happening, or why is this challenge happening to me? I think a couple of reasons. One, because the Lord wants to know that your faith is just that it's faith, and you're not seeking a country club. You're seeking Him, and you're surrendering to Him, and you're following Him. And so he'll separate the sheep from the goats. He'll separate the wheat from the tares. He'll separate the true followers of Christ to those who just maybe want to follow Christ to be more comfortable. But there's another reason, and that's when we start seeking God, we have an enemy, and the enemy attacks. And whenever we align our lives with Scripture and we began seeking Christ, Satan attacks. And this is exactly what happened with Asa. He began aligning his life with the faith of his ancestors. He began aligning his life with what he knew was the will of God. And so there was a test. And there was an attack. And so let's look at verse 9. Zerah, the Cushite, this is a kingdom from Ethiopia, marched out against them. Marched out against the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom. It's a small kingdom. It only occupies two of the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, Judah and Benjamin, surrounding Jerusalem. Zerah, the Cushite, coming out of Ethiopia, marched out against them with an army of uh, thousands upon thousands. And another translation would say a million-man army and 300 chariots. And he came as far as Marishah. Asa went out to meet him. And they took up battle positions in the valley of Zephathah near Marishah. And right here, we have the very first characteristic of a revival. A revival occurs in the midst of national depression. A revival occurs in the midst of a cultural crisis. Now, when a revival hits you know a revival hit. There's no question if a hurricane hits a shore, is there? You know when it hits. And you know when the power of God hits the people of God. You know when they are endowed with power from on high. You know when their hearts are filled with the divine momentum and there's an anointing about them. You can read about revivals in American history. 
through the, uh, God used people like um, Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield when uh, America, the, the, the colonies were being established uh, just a matter of decades before the Civil War. There is, there is an indication that, that the people of God, even in the churches, were so apathetic. Teenagers had no desire, no attention span for Christ whatsoever. When the word of God spoke, I mean, they just absolutely zoned out. They were disrespectful to the things of God. And people at best were apathetic. And then a group of people began praying. And then this preacher got up named Jonathan Edwards, and he read his sermon. He wasn't an eloquent uh, uh, spokesman. He read his sermon. His hands trembled. His voice was squeaky. The sermon was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. But people were praying. And then by the time he was finished with this sermon, the, re- the accounts and the reports go that people are hiding in pews to f- in fear of the wrath and holiness of God, crying out for the grace of God. Many people got saved. That was a revival fire that sparked, and it swept through the colonies, forever changing the trajectory of the colonies and this continent, and it swept throughout the entire world. That, that was called the First Great Awakening. This is not embellishment. You can go back and Google it, and you can search it or buy history books on it. I mean, it, it it occurred. It was an awakening. It was a, it was a phenomenon. It was supernatural. God showed up and forever changed hearts and forever changed the entire trajectory of an entire continent. And then there's the second great awakening. Uh, writers like Charles Spurgeon and, and Charles Finney talk about the second great awakening in the early to mid-1800s where hundreds and thousands of people were documented in coming to Christ. There's accounts of people uh, going out in, 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 in boats, um, cursing and coming back, praising God because the Spirit of God was so rich, it was so thick. There's an account of people going in to get their hair cut and hearing a testimony next to them and they're being cut to the heart and they commit their lives to Christ. Again, hundreds of thousands of people committed their lives to Christ and teens were no longer lethargic and apathetic or disinterested. They were impassioned and hungry for God and the church was no longer just giving lip service. They were passionate. They were hungry for God. And these revivals spark, these outbreaks of this supernatural phenomenon sparked in the midst of a time of national depression and cultural crisis. And sometimes I think that we look at the United States of America and I think that we look at our culture and I think that we look at our city and we just say, you know, it's, it's going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, there's just no hope. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Nobody cares about Christ. Look at the sexual immorality. Look how they took prayer out at school. Look how there is absolutely no respect for the sanctity of life or the sanctity of marriage. Look how things are just becoming increasingly apathetic about Jesus. Look how our churches are growing larger and larger and larger and larger with state-of-the-art, I mean, Hollywood-caliber entertainment services, and yet our non-church populations are also increasing even larger. It's like, is a dent being made? And it seems hopeless. That is the exact culture, that is the exact context in which a national revival or a citywide revival will break out. So I believe, church, rather than saying we need to fortify ourselves, we need to get around a campfire, we need to just get really cozy and comfortable and sing kumbaya, I think that we need to pray, oh God, turn this campfire into a wildfire so that our hearts are consumed and our city is consumed. When a national revival breaks out, when a citywide revival breaks out, Christians aren't so 
scared of Muslims coming to our coast because we know that the spirit of God will be so heavy that when they hit the shores, they're going to desire Christ and they're going to be converted. There is a command to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. But when a revival breaks out, the uttermost parts of the earth will come to us. And when they even touch foot on our shores, they will want to know Christ. So Asa went out to meet him. And they took up battle positions in the valley of Zephthah and Merishah. This small country of Judah going up against a one million man Ethiopian army with 300 chariots. And this is a perfect groundwork for a revival. Now, whether you leave here this morning and there's a citywide revival that breaks out, or whether you leave here this morning and there is at least a personal revival that breaks out. You can experience a revival. If not in the city, yet. Certainly in your heart. So let's move on. Verse 11. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, and here goes the second characteristic of a revival. The first is that it has to be in a context, in a culture, in a, in a state of national or citywide or churchwide depression or crisis. The second, you have to be desperate for the power of God, desperate enough that you pray. Watch this. Then Asa called out to the Lord his God, and he said, Lord, and watch this revival prayer. Lord, there is none like you to help the powerless against the mighty. The powerless against the mighty. Did you know that this is where God loves to work the most? He loves to empower the powerless against the mighty. There is none like you, God, who helps the powerless against the mighty. I don't care what you're up against. When God is with you, you have the majority. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you. And, and in your name, you have come against this. We come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. Notice that he wasn't posturing. Notice that he wasn't trying to project an image. Notice that he wasn't trying to look like a king. Notice that he wasn't just, just giving some motivational pet talk or anything of that nature. He allowed his people to see him desperate before God. And this was a prayer by a person in a, an incredibly vulnerable in dangerous situation, and the power of God was so attracted to it. Watch this in verse 12. So the Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah, and the Cushites fled, and Asa and his army pursued them as far as, as, as Gerar. Such a number of Cushites fell that they could not recover. They were crushed before the Lord and his forces. They were crushed before them. The men of Judah carried off a large amount of plunder. They destroyed the villages of Gerar, for the terror of the Lord had fallen on them. They looted all the villages since there was so much plunder there. They also attacked the camps of the herds and carried off sheep and goats and camels, and they returned to Jerusalem. They were utterly desperate for the power of God, and so they prayed. Let's not forget that Jesus didn't say, my house shall be called a house of preaching, though preaching is important. And Jesus didn't say, my house shall be called a, or my father's house shall be called a house of worship, though worship is important. He didn't say, my house shall be called a, a house of children's ministry or youth ministry or giving or spiritual gifts, though all of those things are biblical and important and have their place. Jesus said, but at the foundation, my house, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. 
And this is how the early church was born. Prayer. And the power of God fell upon them. And they continued to pray. And when they became intimidated or timid, they met together and they prayed. And when they were threatened, they prayed. And when they didn't know which direction to go, they prayed. They prayed, they prayed, they prayed. And the power of God rested upon them. And the power of God lasted as long as their prayers last. And that is the model of a revival. So something else, another characteristic about a revival is that a group of Christians is entirely dependent upon and standing upon the promises of God. Let's continue on in verse 15, chapter 1. So the Spirit of God came on Ezariah, the son of Obed. He was a prophet, and he came out to meet Asa when they were coming back from this incredible success. And the prophet of God said, listen to me, Asa and all of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. Isn't that interesting? The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And what's he saying here? This is what he's saying. He's saying, you've just experienced the power of God. You've just experienced the presence of God. You've just experienced the blessings of God. You've experienced the blessings of the light of the presence of God. But if you light a candle in a dark room, it illuminates the room. And you're enjoying the light, and you're basking in the light, and you're grateful for the light. But what happens if you blow out the, light, the, the, the candle? Can you grab the light in your hand? No, the light immediately goes away. And he's saying, so it is with the power that is ushered in by the presence of God. If you ever stop basking in or being completely dependent upon the presence and the power of God, then all of these blessings will be like the light, when you snuff out a candle, it will disappear, and you can't hold them. So stay dependent on the presence and the power of God rather than the light that the presence and power of God gives you. So, smooth sailing for Asa here on out, right? No. This is real. This is a lot like our life. It fluctuates. So wouldn't you know it, the, uh, the king of Israel, the northern kingdom, decides to come down and wage war against the southern kingdom of Judah. Probably his motive was a lot of people from Israel saw that God was with the southern kingdom of Judah, so people from Israel began migrating to Judah. On top of that, uh, the, the, the northern king of Israel, the king of the northern tribes of Israel, knew of the plunder of the, of the southern kingdom of Judah, so they probably wanted to get in on that, so they began to march toward the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, Asa just took down with Judah, through the power of God, a million Cushites and 300 chariots and drove them back into Ethiopia. And now a far less, a far, far, far less army is coming down against them. You'll never believe what Asa does. He goes to the king of Syria and he makes an alliance with him. He says, look, I know that you currently have an alliance with the, with the king of the northern kingdom of Judah. But look at all this, look at all of this loot that we got from the, this Ethiopian plunder. And he gave him a great amount of treasure. And he said, if you take this treasure and break your alliance with the northern kingdom of Israel and then fight him, this is yours. And you think God was pleased about that? Not at all. And a prophet came and he said, you trusted in God and God gave you this and then you stopped trusting in God. You're going to have wars for the rest of your life. There is incredible danger. There is incredible danger. Let me just say it again. There is incredible danger when we begin placing 
confidence in our accomplishments rather than in God. There is incredible danger when we begin placing confidence in even the blessings of God rather than God. Incredible danger when we begin placing confidence even in spiritual gifts that he's given us rather than God. The strength comes, the power comes from God, and that comes through prayer. So, let's look at verse, chapter 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord, a prophet came again. And he said, you know, I was just, God is basically saying, I was looking for somebody whose heart was perfect towards me, not whose life was perfect. This is another characteristic of a revival. God oftentimes sparks a revival, not through a person whose life is perfect. Nobody's life is perfect, or not even through a person whose theology is perfect. But God sparks a revival through a person whose heart is entirely consecrated to him, and entirely dependent upon him, and entirely seeking him. So, a prophet comes. And he says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Whose hearts are fully committed to him. He's not saying I have to have a perfect person. I have to have somebody who's all together. But God is looking for somebody whose heart is fully committed to him. So he can watch this strongly support him and strengthen them. Is that you? You know, a few years back, several years ago, when that hurricane hit New Orleans and the evacuees came up here to Fort Worth, it was back before we had the building, and we were meeting in the Fort Worth Botanic Gardens, and a lot of the evacuees, thousands of the evacuees, were um, stationed at, they were uh, at the Amon Carter Center, just pretty much across university, uh, over them, that same area as the Botanic Gardens, and, um, you know, FEMA and, and, and all these federal groups were out there and the cots and the supplies and all that and and they were just it was like a little colony they, they were living there for a while so we went over there and we just began a church service for them on on sunday morning and and i shared this, this story about um this this man who was in desperate need for god he was a pastor and his church was uh, just apathetic and they needed more than anything else the presence of God to unify them, to empower them for the anointing for people to come to Christ. And he was desperate. I mean, he tried all these tricks that were up his sleeves. He read all these leadership books, these church planning books. He did everything that he knew to do, and it just wasn't enough. So finally, after church one Sunday, he couldn't handle it anymore. And he's like, I, I got to get away. He slipped out. The music was still going, but he preached. The music was going. He slipped out. It was in a farm community, and he just kept walking. And he walked, and then he fell on his face before God, and he cried out, Oh, God, I need you now. And the tide shifted, and this man had fresh vision, and he was endowed with power from on high, and things changed in him, and things began to change around him, and his little church experienced a revival, and the city experienced a revival. He was telling this story to a group of pastor friends that he had and over breakfast, and one was a younger pastor, and he said, oh, I need to go where you went to meet with God. I'm in that same place. I need to go where you went to meet with God. And the older pastor said, are you sure? And the younger pastor said, yes. He said, well, then follow me. So they walked about a mile, and it was really hot. And the younger pastor said, are we there yet? And the older pastor said, no, not yet. 
So they kept walking, I mean, through a ravine and creek, and the younger pastor said, are we there yet? And the older pastor said, no, not yet. So they kept walking and over a hill and through more brush, and the mosquitoes were bad, and the heat was sweltering. And the younger pastor said, are we there yet? And the older pastor said, no, not yet. And they kept walking, and then finally the younger pastor said, I can't take another step. I need God now. And to that, the older pastor said, then we are there. And when you, when you come to the place where you can't take another step in self-confidence, and even if you could, you wouldn't want any part of it, and you are so desperate from God, then that is the place that you will experience God and encounter God. You know, I, I shared that story with those evacuees, and <laughs> they, uh, I think I shared it probably ten times, because they would take me to this friend and that friend and that friend to say, share that story, share that story. And every time I would get to the end, and they would just praise God, this is the place, because they were at the end of their ropes. I mean, everything. They lost their houses, they lost their cars, they, 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 they didn't know where many family members were, they didn't know if they were at a makeshift shelter in Houston or, or Oklahoma or Dallas, they, they, they couldn't get in touch with family, they, they lost even their scrapbooks, even their photo albums, literally all they had was the shirt on their back. They were desperate for God, and they called out to God. And I believe the problem uh, with many Christians that is preventing Revival is that we are not desperate for God. We are way too comfortable. So some certain characteristics. One, there was a problem. Two, they were desperate enough for God that they prayed for God. Three, they stood upon the promises of God. That if their hearts are fully consecrated to Him, they will experience the power of God. And another characteristic is they made a decisive decision. They made a decisive decision. So King Asa, the rest of his life, you know, the, the Bible records him favorably as a good king, but really the rest of his life ended up bitter. He developed some physical ailments, but you know what? He never turned to God. He only turned to his physicians. He never really called on the name of the God uh, of the Lord. And he died with a distant relationship from God. It's quite tragic, but it's like many Christians I know. And so, Asa had a son, and his son's name was Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, like us, was painfully human. Jehoshaphat, to make a long story short, begins reigning over Judah. He finds himself in an alliance that he should not have been in. The northern kingdom of Israel, the uh, king Ahab, who was married to Jezebel of all people, and they had an alliance through marriage, their, their, their children. They go into battle together. King Ahab was just shifty and shady and manipulative, and we won't go into that, but they go into battle together, basically. The northern kingdom king, Ahab, the king of the southern kingdom, Jehoshaphat. In the same battle, on the same side, arrows are flying, swords are swinging. King Jehoshaphat, watch this in verse, I'll just read it to you in chapter 18, verse 31. When the chariot commander saw Jehoshaphat, they thought this is the king of Israel, so they turned to attack him. But watch this, Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. He cried out. And the Lord helped him. He cried out, and the Lord helped him. King Ahab, 
just tight-lipped, just silent. His heart was far from God. His heart wasn't stirred to cry out, and somebody uh, drew their arrow and a arrow drew their bow and an arrow soared up into the air and seemingly randomly hit the king of the northern tribes in between his armor it just got him just i mean a one in a million shot and it happened to be random right in between his armor and it was a mortal wound that he eventually died from two people same battle one cried out to the lord with all his heart and the lord heard him the other remained tight-lipped and self-confident, and he was pierced. Now, we will leave this place. Some will cry out to the Lord. And there may be a revival that sparks in Fort Worth through you. Some will remain tight-lipped, and you will leave weaker and beat down further by the battle that rages around us every day. So my thought is this. We only get to live once, right? In this life, and forever in heaven. I think it was one of our founding fathers who said, I have but one regret that I only have one life to give for my country. I, I kind of feel like that. I mean, I just have one life to give to the Lord. I only have one life to take the baton of the gospel of Jesus Christ and run with it as fast and far as possible before we pass it on to the next generation. Only one life before we spend forever in heaven worshiping our King. Only one life to round up as many souls as possible, and so do you. And time is going so fast. The sun is setting low. We are fishers of the souls of men. And we're in this boat, and there are lost people all around us, and the sun is setting low. We only have one life to live. Let's make as big of a dent as possible by crying out to God and being totally dependent upon God and being entirely confident in the promises of God. I'm not, I'm not saying conditions have to be met for your salvation. Only one thing needs to be met for your salvation, Christ on the cross in the empty tomb. And we trust in that. We are saved. We are heaven bound. But there are very specific conditions that need to be met to experience personal revival in your heart and revival in this church and revival in this city. Very specific conditions all throughout history. They're, they're, these common threads are woven through these revivals. There has to be a time of national depression or cultural depression or a church-wide depression or crisis. There has to be people dependent enough, desperate enough for the power of God that we pray. Standing in the promises of God, God, you said that if my heart is entirely consecrated to you, that you will fully support us. All the revivals throughout the Old Testament, all the revivals throughout the book of Acts with the apostles, how they continue to spread like wildfire, all the revivals in, in history after the book of Acts was recorded have these very specific ingredients. And so, I don't want to play church, and I, I don't want you to play church. I want us, at the absolute very least, which is not... Li little at all. I want us to have a revival in our heart. And I want us to have a revival in our church. And I want us to spark a revival, God through us, in the city. We only have one life to live. So, let's swing for the fence. That's a baseball term. There's a, your bottom of the ninth inning. Your team is down by three points. 
you're the home team, two outs, you're up to bat, what do you do? And if you don't understand baseball, I just painted a picture that basically means it is a critical situation. It is a do or die situation. I mean, people have to intentionally breathe because everybody's holding their breath in a situation like this in a baseball game. Everybody's biting their nails. Everybody's completely on the edge of their seat and you're up to bat. What do you do? Do you just stand there and think, I'm not even going to swing because I don't want to make a mistake, and so you just let the pitcher throw, hoping he throws four balls so that he walks you? Then if the pitcher fires one right down the middle, strike one. Fires another right down the middle, strike two. You realize this strategy is not going to work. So what do you do? You try to lean into a ball to get hit by it so that you can kind of uh, get on base. The pressure's off. How about this? How about we swing for the fence? How about we go for a grand slam? How about we go for a revival? I don't mean we hold a revival. I mean, how about we go for the power of God sweeping through us like a wildfire, transforming a culture? How about we swing for the fence? What would that look like? So I was fasting and praying and and I, and I don't say this to, to, I try to keep my prayer time in the prayer closet because God blesses that, but I was just seeking the Lord's will and it was an extended fast. And just an epiphany, the Lord kind of like in a moment, you know, the Lord put this vision on my heart and basically the next morning I started walking toward it and I, I rented out uh, Trinity Park Shelter House where they do Shakespeare in the park. I, I called a, a local artist. He's a, national, he's a nationally known, known artist, but he lives here in Fort Worth, Todd Agnew, and said, would you come lead worship at this event? He said, yes. There's a band from Austin called Shadow of Wells. I said, would you come play? Let's make it a family-friendly thing. They're a young, energetic uh, Beatles kind of pop band, just a lot of fun. Would you play, and, you know, kind of uh, for the younger generation? And Todd Agnew will, 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 will wrap it up uh, just with a uh, w- worship. And Shadows of Wales says, yeah, we'll, we'll be there. I called my friend Robert Borelli, who was in the, the mafia, the, uh, the Gambino crime family, and he committed his life to Christ, and Jesus entirely transformed his heart. I said, would you just come share about five or ten minutes about how Jesus can change your heart? He said, yeah, I'm all over that. I'll be there. And I'm going to fast for the same extended amount of time going into it. And it's the last Friday of July. And I, I shared that this for a couple of reasons. One, because it's going to have to be a church-wide thing. It's going to be, there's a lot of work involved. But two, I, I ask you to fast and pray with me. And so, I ask you to, it's the last uh, Friday of July, July 29th. And I ask you to fast for revival fire to fall and to sweep through us. I ask for you to start fasting 10 days before July 29th, which would be, what, July 19th, I guess. Start fasting, 10 days. And I mean, you can fast straight up from food. You can fast, you can just eat fruit and vegetables and drink water. I mean, there's certain medical conditions. You can fast from television. That would be a great fast. You could fast from social media. That would be a great fast. And just go into your prayer closet, and you can just pray, God, fall upon us uh, with revival, fire, uh, awaken the hearts of your church. And on top of that, we're we're going to invite everyone everywhere 
to come out on this evening. We're going to invite churches. We're inviting churches. We're inviting people to come out July the 29th. And the Christians, we are going to pray for revival, to be fully surrendered, to be fully consecrated. Do you remember, like, at the beginning of the sermon when we talked about those Asherah poles and I said, remember that? You want to know what those things were? It was hideous. Hideous. They were these poles that were constructed. It was idolatry. People worshipped them. But these Asherah poles were constructed, and they were very graphic and designed to induce sexual desires and sexual thoughts. It was, it was pornography. It was ancient pornography, basically. Which leads us to believe that when these nations found themselves in a condition, in a position of incredible spiritual depression and in desperate need of revival, sexual immorality was rampant. And so for anybody to experience a revival in their heart, for any church to experience a revival in the church, for any culture to experience a revival, we have to cast down sexual immorality, sexual thoughts, and pornography. We will not advance in the power of God without living completely consecrated and pure and holy lives. And for us to go into Friday, July 29th with this kind of revival fire, with this kind of anointing, well, this is where it has to begin. Any sort of sexual immorality in your life, you've got to cast down. You've just got to cast it down. When people were so zealous for God, you know what they did? They not only cast these things down, they got on them and they stomped them and they crushed them. They were done with sexual immorality and they were going to seek the Lord with all of their heart. They crushed them until nothing left remained. We've got to do the same. So would you stand with me, please? So here are some flyers right here to get us going on July the 29th. And the Lord is going to be there because we are going to be unified and he blesses the oneness and the unity of his people. And I am praying for you and my prayer for you is that your heart is stirred with revival. Remember the two kings after King Asa died and his son Jehoshaphat became king? Remember the two kings, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom? There was King Ahab, there was King Judah. They went into the same battle. They were fighting the same war. One left supported by the power of God and the other left torn down. Do you remember the difference? One decided to cry out to God. One entirely consecrated his heart to God and the other just remained tight-lipped. So my prayer for you is that you will entirely consecrate your life to Christ. Let's swing for the fence and let's expect the power of God to come upon us. In fact, here's what I would like to do. Uh, we, we do this in the evening service, the 6 p.m. service sometimes, and, and I think it's just a great deal of uh, oneness and unity. Rather than just kind of having a, a basic generic altar call, I would just like, I, I, I want to invite you, if I could pray for you, 
to have a revival fire and to walk in, to have the strength to walk in purity, to desire the Lord more than the things of this earth, to be so anointed that you reach out to lost people who don't know Christ, and to and to pray over you, to pray over the church in the city, to seek God. And to stand upon the promise of God that if you entirely give your heart to Christ, if you entirely consecrate your heart to Christ, you will be fully supported by God. So if I could just pray that over you, um, would you bow your heads with me, please? If you'll swing for the fence with me, this is a lot, this is a lot, but if you will swing for the fence with me to go all out, not just play church, and not, just to, and not just to occupy our territory, but actually expand. If you will go all out with me and swing for the fence for a revival, just raise your hand high, please. Okay. Awesome, awesome. Now, if you raised your hand, I just want to pray over you all collectively. And so just come on up here and just let, let me just pray over you as a church family and just gather around here and get kind of tight if you would. it's got to start. It's got to start with the people who are unified and the people who are utterly consecrated to God. In one of these revivals, the nation of Judah got together like this, and they got so zealous, and they made a covenant to seek the Lord with all their hearts that they actually decided, and we're not going to take it this far, they actually, I think they got too excited, but they made a commitment to kill anybody that did not seek God with all their heart. Now, we're not going to do that. We love and we don't do that sort of thing. But it just goes to show that they were fervent. They were zealous. They got together and they made a covenant together that they were going to cast down anything that hindered and diminished their spiritual life. And know this, if it hinders, if it diminishes your spirit-filled fruits, peace, joy, love, etc., to you it is sin. It might not be moral or immoral, it might be all moral, it might, be just, might just be television or a news feed or whatever, but if it diminishes your spirit, to you it is sin, and you've got to cast it down. And especially if it's flat out blatantly unbiblical and unchristlike, you've got to cast it down. It might be bitterness, it might be sexual immorality, it might be a lethargic, passive attitude to the Word of God or to prayer. Maybe your prayer closet hasn't seen you for quite some time. Whatever it is, you've got to cast it down and covenant to seek God with all of your heart. Okay, if you would just bow your heads, put your arm around somebody. Father in heaven, we are your people, and we need you, God. Lord, we do not want to stand on our own strength. We do not want to place confidence in ourselves. We want to place confidence only in your power. Father, we want to swing for the fence as a church. Here we are, God, like Isaiah said, send me. Father, we cast down idols. We cast down anything that displeases you. We cast down anything that grieves your Holy Spirit. We cast down anything that causes you jealousy. And we give our hearts entirely to you. And we pray in Jesus' name that your power would fully support these hearts of ours that are completely consecrated to you. Our lives are not perfect, God, but our hearts are perfect toward you. And we pray that you would, Lord, endow us with power from on high to swing for the fence and experience revival. Lord, let it spark amongst us so that we are not a campfire, we are a wildfire.
And when people are around us, they want you, they want to know you, they repent of sins, and they come to you. Lord, we pray for July the 29th, that it would spark a revival in the city, and many would come to you. Lord, as we commit to fast the 10 days going into July 29th, we pray that we would be closer to you than we've ever been in our entire lives. To you be the glory for this. Shine through us, Lord. Let people see that you're in us. Let them see something different about us. Be glorified in Jesus' name through every soul here. Praise you, Lord. Amen. 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 All right. Well, if you guys would, yeah, let's praise God. You guys give somebody a hug and you are dismissed.